Newfoundland and Labrador is Canada's most easterly province and only joined the country in 1949. With a population just over half a million, it's a sparsely populated province, but also one of Canada's most rapidly aging ones. Youth aged 14 and under account for only 14.3% of the province's population. Children and youth in Newfoundland and Labrador face a diverse range of challenges and opportunities. In the segment that follows, we open with a brief discussion with two directors at the Provincial Office of the Child and Youth Advocate. We then provide narratives from two youth, Crystal and Elizabeth, who share their experiences with some of the province's youth outreach centers and services. Another youth, Abby, offers a song she wrote and talks about the issues she faced which inspired it. Then we talk with two younger youth, Mia and Icy, about the United Nations Declaration of Rights of the Child. Finally, we take a look at an innovative program that's being experimented with at a junior high school in St. John's, the provincial capital. The innovative program shows the power and potential of community building among youth in our communities. Hi, I'm Janice Mullins. And my name is Karen Gray. So we're a provincial office and we provide advocacy services to children and youth in Newfoundland and Labrador up to the age of 18 and then if they were in care up to the age of 21. And so we provide um, individual advocacy services which is basically helping individuals one-on-one. We provide systemic advocacy services, which is looking at issues that are impacting a large group of children and youth. Um, And we also provide education and outreach services. Um, And so basically our job is to ensure that children and youth have access to government services that they're entitled to receive and that their rights are upheld and that their voices are heard. We also have a responsibility to identify gaps in government policy where they exist. Uh, particularly when there is, um, you know, there's an identified need by a number of children or by an individual child. And our responsibility then is to inform government as to the impact of these policy gaps in hopes that uh, we can make, uh, work together, I guess, collaboratively with government to make changes so that we can close those gaps and, uh, you know, and I guess increase the provision of services for children, a child, a young person, or a group of them, depending on uh, what the issue is that has come just come to our attention. I'd also just like to say that in order to understand the key issues, what we've really started to do is um, in the past years really connect with youth and um, and this opportunity to engage in the National Day of Broadcasting and to hear from youth directly is part of that process. So we've been going around the province and having focus groups and meeting with children and youth where they are um, and just wanting to hear from them. What are your issues? What is going well? What's not going well? How can we help to make things better for you? And we feel like in order to ensure that our office gets it right, we have to hear from youth directly. So it's been a big initiative of ours. Um, And, um, you know, what we're hearing from youth um, is not a surprise. There are um, a lot of mental health Um, issues. Youth homelessness is a big issue in certain areas. Um, LGBTQ uh, are big issues that our office is hearing about. And um, bullying in schools and how that looks today um, are issues that are impacting children and youth. So our office is hearing about that a lot. 
perhaps the biggest thing is is youth homelessness Mm -hmm. and um, the fact that you know unlike some of the bigger cities in our country we don't really see it on the street as you would if you walked through the streets of Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver we have more hidden homeless and the services to children the services to that population particularly young people who are you know maybe 16 and over um, they they're not as seamless as one would expect there's a lot of disjointed um, disjointed service provision it's it's not keeping up with you know the, the rental rates for example in the city are, are astronomical and for you know and for some youth it's ju- they just can't they just can't get the funding for that so um, we're seeing a lot of the impact of young people who don't have a place to stay and and if they don't have a place to stay then everything else is you know it seems insurmountable because they don't have a base from which to operate um, we've, you know, we've seen uh, issues with respect to uh, education, and you know, when when kids get lost in the system really early, they can't get, they can't play catch up, and the education system seems to not be as open to um, that particular student, and the student is drops out. So we have a lot of attendance issues in school. The schools have also identified that, and um, I think. The, the drug problem in the city is huge and mental health issues and the, and the, the lack of some um, mental health services for young people are, is being felt. We don't know, you know, what these new drugs that are coming into the city, the impact of those. We're only, I think we're only seeing a very small piece of that right now, what that's going to mean. So there are an awful lot of issues that, that, youth, are, um, that youth are facing. You know, sex, sexual exploitation of, of young people is big, and uh, the sex trade obviously um, is impacting youth as well. So, you know, some peop- some young people feel that that's that's their only option, um, and and so those are the kinds of issues that we we're seeing, you know, fairly regularly. For children, it's issues around safety. Again, it's bullying. Um, services for children who have special challenges like autism or attention deficit disorder and what that means for them. Um, you know, early intervention is what everybody touts as being the uh, the best, I guess, um, when it comes to trying to provide a quality of life for some of these children, whether it be with education or whether it just be in daycare or just being at home. But the wait lists are so long to get that type of in-home service and then transition that into the school so we see you know we see an awful lot of issues every single day for a lot of children on the continuum and you know from what one would consider not quite serious to extremely life-threatening permanency plans for children who can no longer be in their in the home of their parents that's huge and we hear about that all all the time so you know when it comes to what's impacting children and young people in our province i I would have to say you know there's no one answer it's Mm -hmm. it's huge the first thing that we try to do is to provide the people that we're dealing with um, direct uh, skills themselves to advocate for themselves so provide them with some tips give them some information give them some direction because sometimes government is a complicated system and just to navigate that system 
just require some help and some guidance. So first we try to work with them to try to provide them with some guidance. Um, and if that's not appropriate or not possible, then we will assist. So we can make contact with different government departments and we can make some inquiries and we can try to help, as Karen said, close the gaps there in terms of the services that are, are or are not being provided for that child or youth. Um, so we can help them navigate the system either through themselves, walk them through it, or make those contacts ourselves and try to reach resolution. You know, we work as much as possible collaboratively with um, the different government departments to try to make resolution because at the end of the day, we all want to provide the best services as possible for the children and youth in our province. I think collaboration is the key. Yeah. You know, I mean, one of the, we can all go back and say, oh yeah, we all work together and all that stuff. and. And people say that maybe that's just paying lip service. But I think in our line of work, Janice and I have both seen the benefits of information sharing and coming together with a, um, with a, common, uh, with a common goal. And uh, because one of the things that we found is that families, particularly families with children who have challenges, struggle not only with the child who has the challenge, but trying to figure out who they have to talk to where do they get the service? Who knows what? Who can hear what? Who can be? Sh who's, who shares the information with whom? And a lot of times it's families that are jumping through hoops because they've told this story over and over and over. They just get, you know, another person on the other end of the phone or in front of them. And what we found is when we get, what we can do is we can facilitate a conversation where everybody comes to the table. And so everybody has to talk to one another at that point. Our legislation is extremely robust and it allows us to do that. Um, most people can't say no to us so at our office. So we're able to help that child or young person through their family or through their guardians or you know whoever's re acting on their behalf to, to manage all of those people at the same time in the same place, which makes you know the, the problem solving a little bit easier because you don't have to go from one person to another person to another person. Uh, we're all at the same table. The other thing that we can do and, and, uh, is, uh, under our legislation is we can investigate when, there's, um, when there are less than positive outcomes or we see that there are significant difficulties. We can ask the questions about why that actually happened. And our investigations, um, you know, have, I believe, have far-reaching implications. We, make, we can go back then and make uh, you know, recommendations to government about what should have happened and what should happen in the future. I think one of the biggest things that we want to do is we want to raise the awareness of our office. Not everybody knows about us, and not everybody knows, you know, how far-reaching we can we can be. So, um, you know, part of our business plan, I suppose, or one of our lines of business is with respect to education and promotion and outreach and trying to get to the very people that we would want them coming through our doors or phoning us to say, you know, we think that it's time for you to uh, to step in because we really are coming up against all kinds of, you know, blocks and, and barriers. I think, you know, Newfoundland and Labrador is unique in the sense of its, you know, vast geography and uh, cultural diversity. So that does make it somewhat challenging um, in terms of consistency in service provision um, over a very fast geography. And we even find ourselves, in terms of pr providing service, we're in St. John's, but we provide services to 
uh, all children and youth across Newfoundland and Labrador. So how do we make our presence known and how do we be as available to, you know, Labrador, to Western Newfoundland? So some of those challenges are unique um, as well, you know, the cultural diversity certainly is um, a growing population and consideration for um, services that our government is providing. Um, but again, those are certainly seen across the country as well and probably are not 100% unique to, to us, um, but certainly considerations that we do have to um, to give a lot of thought to when we provide services to make sure that they're equitable to, um, to the population that we serve. Yeah, and I, and I think that, you know, just sort of to build on what Janice started to say with respect to the our Indigenous population, mm-hmm. some of the challenges that are, that the youth, particularly in Labrador, um, you know, our Innu and our Inuit uh, young people, they have, I think, um, probably bigger challenges in some ways because not only from, you know, the isolated communities, but, you know, the cultural history that they have and some of the difficulties that their parents and their grandparents have faced with respect to, you know, having to leave, you know, their their um, their Aboriginal lifestyle to be placed on reserve and, and uh, the difficulties that they have. I mean, that's, uh, I guess that's being felt and being illustrated when, when you hear about our young people who are sniffing gas and they have solvent abuse and, you know, that we don't have a uh, particularly good uh, track record when it comes to treatment programs. So we have to send our young people away. We, you know, uh, a lot of a lot of our children um, that are in foster homes in on the island are are from Aboriginal communities, and so they're away from their families. So those things, while I believe that there may be some similarities to what's happening nationally, I think you know we're seeing it as well, unique to us because they're unique. You know, they're unique uh, populations in, in our communities as well, in our province. The fact that a lot of young people are leaving Outport, Newfoundland, and coming to St. John's, which is the bigger center, is, is taxing on the services that we have in this area. So you have, you know, St. John's that's becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, and you have Outport, Newfoundland that's becoming smaller and smaller and smaller because the services are not there. And, uh, and so the young people who are left there in schools that may very well be, you know, be looking at closing because there's no students coming in or the programs are not there, so they're doing things through, you know, CDLI or, the, you know, through the computer, um, um, health services that are not available in their community. I think those are unique to our province because of the, you know, the declining population and everybody sort of migrating to the bigger centers. We uh, just, you know, want to send out a message to you know let people know who we are that our office is there um, to provide a support and a service to children and youth who um, feel that uh, they may not be receiving a service that they are entitled to receive or their rights are not being upheld Uh, and we want to you know hear from them and uh, you know that means us going out or them coming to us uh, that we um, are a uh, an option that uh, we're um, we want to just build that awareness that we are an option available to children and youth in this province yeah and our offices are located at 193 Lamarchand Road in St. John's Um, anybody can call us 
um, they can reach us at uh, 753-3888 or um, we have a toll-free number I think it's 1-888-753-3888 and uh, so we're available you know at any time for you know between 8:30 and, and 4 30 but we you know we have uh, voicemail and all that stuff they can they can reach us um, and we have a web website as well uh, and we're on Twitter now so they can follow us um, it, it, they can reach us in a number of ways and uh, we have a um, pretty diverse and, and multidisciplinary staff so we have in-house the ability to get answers fairly quickly for people who uh, who have any questions so our website is www.childandyouthadvocate.nl.ca and our Twitter handle is at OCYANL Young people growing up in Newfoundland and Labrador, like young people in other parts of the country, often wind up facing challenges such as homelessness, addictions, and more. Challenges that are made more difficult by peer pressure, societal judgment, and a lack of systemic and structural supports in the province and country. Crystal is a young woman from Newfoundland who shared some of her life story and talked about the insights and experiences that led her to where she is today. I come from a smaller town in Central, and I came from a great family, a lot of friends. I moved away at an early age of 16 to Ottawa, but uh, found my way back to Newfoundland, where I've been back and forth between... Um, Central and uh, St. John's. I have a history of addictions actually and I was staying at one of the homeless shelters here in St. John's. They had a poster on the wall. Um, It was great art so I was immediately drawn to it. When I asked the staff about it they said it was uh, a program through Thrive that uh, they were just starting up and it's for anybody who's ever worked in the sex trade industry or who has ever been exploited sexually. Immediately on hearing that, I wanted to know a little bit more, so I actually just went in. I didn't call. I just went to Thrive one day and uh, asked to speak to somebody. And from there, I, uh, I've received an amazing amount of support. Thrive is an outreach center. Um, they have a lot of uh, subsections and projects that they work with, uh, a lot of youth to help you get your education. they're there for like they're you know anything that you need Um, it's an outreach center for youth Stella Circle is is also a similar organization Uh, they have a number of uh, residences around as well Um, I mean that could be for homelessness Uh, it could be because you have mental health or addictions they have programs to help people get back in the workforce they help you with housing Um, it's it's all around great I was scared at first, of course. Um, I mean, I hadn't told anybody that I was actually involved in this industry. Um, so, I mean, anytime that happens, you can expect, you know, the fear of judgment, of course. But uh, I had an interview uh, with a psychologist there, a lovely woman, and uh, she basically just wanted to know my history about it. Uh, it was she was she was very welcoming and. I didn't feel judged and I opened up to all of my bare details and you know she she counseled me she told me what support is available I mean they help you with your education they help you with your finances you get counseling support the blue door program um, you know it's it's a group of individuals where we meet once a week 
we do a lot of art-based activities. Uh, but it's a, it's a place, it's a safe place for, you know, there's no judgment. You can feel free to cry or talk about anything you want. But it's just an environment where you know you're with like-minded individuals who've had similar experiences that you can go bond. And, I mean, the degree of work in the sex industry is, you know, there's a, a huge spectrum. But uh, you can go to these groups and, and be around people not needing to share if you don't want to on how it is, but they offer counseling for those times that you do want to dig into those those deep things because that's what you need you need you need someone to listen who really does care and you can tell that all of these counselors and support staff that that are doing it they don't they're not doing it because they're getting a paycheck they're doing it because they believe in the cause of it and they believe in you and I know I've gained my confidence back through all of my support um, through Thrive through the Naomi Center I mean through Emanuel House, through treatment in Harbor Grace, and um, really restored my faith in, you know, the system and employees and and knowing that, that there's kindness out there. I'm actually, because of them uh, and other support, able to uh, begin school again in January. I'm actually uh, studying to be a chartered herbalist. When I finished high school, uh, I started out in nursing, and while I love the therapeutic approach, it was funny because my nursing instructors told me I was too therapeutic. Um, I really don't like the pharmaceutical industry as such because I've always been a healer in the sense that I would like, I always thought that it was a root cause of any disease that was going on in the body. Um, and, and just having a curious mind in general, I think. So I left nursing and I did career exploration where I found out about homeopathy. And um, I mean, that is just has been a passion of mine forever. Uh, unfortunately, addiction got the best of me. Um, but I think that little light inside of me always still wanted to pursue that field. And through all of my experience, I definitely gain insight and knowledge that, you know, I wouldn't have known unless I've gone through it. Uh, the herbal remedies, I just find, you know, I'm, I'm very in love with nature, <laughs> earth child. And I just think that uh, if we really appreciate, you know, where we come from, the ground, the earth, and all of the elements, that it, it just, like, even the medicine that we use today is all derived from those ancient practices when... We studied how these plants and extracts could affect our bodies, and I think it's incredible that, you know, in a year or two I'll be able to go out in the forest, be able to identify, like, certain plants and know that when I can create some kind of a tincture or concoction that that can help heal somebody in whatever ails them. Life just didn't ever seem to work out, uh, I know now from going through it and uh, being in recovery that I guess the deeper you get into it, the, the more difficult it is to get out. Um, but it, it does take a lot of strength and courage to, to come forward and address these disease. And I know that it is not just like a, a choice per se, but uh, physical dependency in a brain. Um, and I know for myself personally, I have an extreme amount of gratitude 
for all the support in the community um, in my recovery. I, I had gone to a treatment in Harbor Grace, and that was honestly life-changing for me. Um, I got a lot of strength from that and really, really got to know who I am as a person. Um, and I, I mean, I've lived with addiction for 17 years, but it, and you begin to believe that that's all you are. But in doing treatment programs and, and working with places like Thrive, um, I also work with Stella Circle uh, for support, and you learn that you're much more than that. And the people in the industry of, of helping uh, facilitate these the needs of addictions, or let's say the sex trade industry with Blue Door, they, they really express a lot of compassion and uh, allow you to move forward knowing that you are worth recovery and can be everything that you've you've ever dreamed and mm -hmm. I'm a dreamer <laughs> it has become a, a large problem another reason I don't think I like the pharmaceutical industry very much is uh, it's very accessible and I know that the doctors have their guidelines and they're doing the best they can not to to give out these unnecessary uh, drugs but it's it's just so easily available I mean you can you can get drugs just as easily as you can alcohol um, and we live in a city where we have the highest per capita of bars, and I mean, drinking in youth has always been, I think, an ongoing issue, and we live in a culture where it, we're known for it. Um, not the addiction side of it, but we're well known for our partying. <laughs> uh, I know from my experience in, in doing recovery and, and programs that uh, having my clear mind, and I can, I can just walk down the street and I see, I see youth that I know are under the influence and uh, I mean I can't disclose any sources per se of where they get it but it's it's not difficult I think you can get it pretty well in every corner that you'd wish and uh, I mean the exposure to it the, the peer I'm not sure if it's peer pressure anymore or just deemed um, you know like everyone everyone does it sort of thing that you feel comfortable or I know that with addiction a lot of the time that there are underlying issues that, that people want to use so that they aren't in their you know just frame of mind normal it's an escape um, and sometimes it it's just so fun and and then you don't realize that your body just gets so used to it that like on a scientific sense that you know you you can't produ produce your own serotonin or dopamine and regular hormones in your body um, but you know, I think being a youth and in school, I know that I think it would be very difficult for, for younger people to just come out and say, like, I think I have a problem with this. And I'm, I know that there's presentations in that uh, in schools, but I know when I had those presentations when I was in school, I, I kind of just it went in one ear out the other um, because you don't really realize it at the time that that information is is so useful and and could change your life <laughs> and how many times I'd say you know I wish I had listened um, I guess that's just the, the age and I'm not sure if that has to do with you know it's such a, a critical time in, in growing up that you're so easily molded um, and you, you want to be accepted into social circles and things like that and and being unique isn't always um, accepted so it's hard, it's hard to say um, how to get around that, really. 
I have heard that you know schools are trying to implement more more safety uh, policies. I'm not overly familiar with it, but I heard about this locking students in sort of thing. I didn't go to school in St. John's, so I'm I'm not sure how the attendance records go. But uh, personally, I think that uh, like I had a great guidance counselor growing up, but we always spoke about issues of the future and and never really ongoing of, of present. And I'm not sure if that shaped my decisions, but I, I know certainly now in recovery, just even doing a lot of mindfulness and uh, meditation and really being in the moment and understanding feelings. Um, I, I do a lot of work with uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, and I honestly think that that should be in all schools as a mandatory course. It's made a world of difference to me. I don't know how it would have affected me early on, but it is fascinating to put emphasis on on understanding who you are. I think is is a huge thing that could be a movement in uh, in schools for adolescents. Dialectical behavioral therapy is is composed of four components. So you have your mindfulness, um, you have interpersonal effectiveness. Um, you have distress tolerance and emotional regulation. So using all of those skills, you begin to understand how, how feelings are, they occur. Um, I know when I was growing up, certain feelings, you know, show weakness, let's say. You can't cry, that's showing weakness. But uh, it's our body's chemistry of how we cope. And uh, really, emotions are, are the roadmap of what is going on with us. And, and to be aware of what is happening in present moment and and aware that we actually have decisions um i think that a lot of the time in in high pressure situations you know you want to go with what everyone's doing sort of thing and we don't put a lot of emphasis on taking that step back and really thinking about it i'm speaking because i i love mindfulness and and present moment and it's helped me a lot I see it now in, in businesses are implementing a lot of uh, mindfulness in their practices because it gives better employee, uh, you know, benefit and results. So why not start it in schools too? I think being in the present, because when you, you're always thinking forward, um, you're thinking so much about your future and how to succeed. It's a lot of pressure that you don't realize. And uh, Sometimes I think that shapes, you get this ideal of who you're supposed to be without actually being who you are. And, and that's the forward thinking and the busyness of it all. And I think that being who you are is, is an important part of establishing your future. And I used uh, a facility called the Naomi Center. Um, I stayed there a couple times. Um, and just the amount of people that come and go from there is, you know, I know some people just need a place to stay for the night, um, but others really need help and support. Luckily, the staff, you know, they're willing to work, and that's what they want. But, uh, you know, kind of a lot of, you know, addictions involved or, or different mental illness. Um, but there are support programs available. I know there's choices for youth that do a lot of work. Um, I've, I've never worked with them personally, but I do hear really good things. And I've seen and met people that I, I do other groups with that have had a, a number of positive experiences with them as well. 
I've got a, a caseworker that's doing intensive case management. Uh, I've been chronically in unstable environments, unstable environments for quite some time, and I've never really had a place of my own. So this is this is time. I'm I'm doing a great seeking safety course, and it talks about taking back your power. And that's what I'm doing in my life right now, and that's a great tool to learn. Judgment is a, is a huge barrier, and what I have to say about that, in my experience, um, it started with myself. And, and that's because I spent so much time living in, in guilt and shame, and I had developed these relationships that you know weren't really out of love or passion, but more or less out of survival, and, uh, and doing things to feed my addiction and then needing to to do other things in order to you know have the money or the means to it, it's, it's just a vicious circle um, and you're I I was so hard on myself I didn't believe that I was a worthy person um, I didn't think that anybody cared I I didn't have any respect for myself or any confidence and it's it's isolating I was isolated for a lot of years, and it's not that, you know, these supports weren't there, that my family didn't love or care about me, because that was all true. It's just how far I got myself into that I just didn't, you know, I judged myself so harshly that I didn't want to tell anybody what I had to do to survive. But when I, I guess when I figured there was nothing else left other than to to just go and just admit and I I didn't open up easy I mean trust is broken all the time especially when you're dealing with addictions or the sex trade industry because a lot of that is based around manipulation and lies and deceit and it's a dark place to be um, so you're I, I was very reserved but you know as I, I spoke like a little bit very very little bit you know my counselor said what I'm hearing you say is and she put it in a kind compassionate way like a better way I could speak to myself and as as she did that like as I got that support and, and felt that that comfort I started to realize that you know I'm not alone in this journey and and then when I opened up more, then I got these resources and found out that I wasn't alone because there were several other people in similar situations. And I know now I'm, I'm so comfortable because I did a lot of work on acceptance and treatment. And for me now, it's, it's, it's more about getting the message out um, that these judgments that you put on yourself, there are others and you're not alone. And, and the support and the change of lifestyle uh, that I've received is just amazing. When I started going to uh, meeting, support meetings and, and found that there was other people in, in similar situations, if not the same, when I had heard other people speak and I said, wow, like that's my story too, I realized that it, when I felt less alone, um, I started to realize that there was hope for me to live the life that I always wanted to live. That if I used my support and, and got free of my addiction and, and got myself out of the sex trade industry and, and stopped associating with the people that I normally would, I learned who I was and 
when I accepted, rather than judge all of my past, just accepted that, you know, it, like it happened. There's nothing I can do. I can't turn back time. Um, but really fully accepted that, you know, there's a reason behind all of it. And it doesn't make me a bad person. These experiences doesn't make, you know, no better. I'm no better or worse than anybody else. Like, I'm just human. And it all started when I, I started learning self-love. And that, that had a lot to do with acceptance. Um, my first couple months of recovery was more or less just counting the days like needed to stay clean. But it became a lot more in treatment. And, and that's when I learned about, you know, how to be, you know, and that's where I learned DBT, got a brief uh, of that, and becoming aware of, like, the emotions and that that come with all of this, that it's it doesn't make it bad or you don't have to hide it. It's just learning how to process it. And in doing so, that that made me stop judging. And I know in mindfulness, when you do things, one, mindfully, that's without putting judgment on it. And judgment doesn't necessarily be have to be a bad thing it it's judgment it's attaching some sort of like whether it's good bad or pleasurable or painful it's attaching that to it rather than just having it as the fact so in doing a lot of that work I stopped judging myself so critically um, and started appreciating all of the good that that comes from it and all of the help that I can help you know provide for others I can't speak um, about really what is right or wrong because I know it's a very um, tangly and sensitive area. Um, I mean, you get the sex worker who's been lured in by a police officer who's doing an undercover investigation. And then you become in a situation where either you give up information where they say you'll be safe but you know in your mind that you're always going to live in that fear of disclosing that information. And then you're, you're told that if you don't give that information, you're going to be charged. I, I don't personally find that fair. I find that the advocacy groups, I found a lot more support in that, personally. Just knowing that, you know, this industry doesn't, it's, it's not all forced. Some people do it because it's empowering. Um, I mean, providing a service that's so intimate that ultimately benefits someone else. We don't know what's going on with them. Um, I mean, how is that any different than helping someone in a, a more conventional way? Um, but there is a lot of uh, exploited people, and uh, I know that that's the main reason that the police are involved, is for safety reasons. Uh, but... It's it's one of those webs that it's it's just where the nature of everybody's you know doings in the industry is so different that it's it's hard you can't make a generic form of it. But I know the advocacy groups, especially the Blue Door program, has been very very understanding. And it's it's not to tell you you can't be in the industry. It's not to tell you that it's wrong or right. It's to help support you in your needs. Um, whether that be because you're having a difficult time for it, whether that's because people are giving you a hard time for it, when really that's what you want to do. Um, you know, they're there. They're there for whatever you need. Because there is such a, a large number of, of people involved in 
whether it be the sex trade industry or anything to do with addictions, um, we really do need a lot more support than than what is there. And I know St. John's, yeah, we're the, the hub for it, but you get so many people that don't live in St. John's that don't have access to this support. You can't just, you know, up and leave your life and expect, I mean, there's because there's chronic homelessness here, so you can't assume that you're going to get a bed in one of these homeless shelters to start yourself on these, you know, your feet, right? And it's it's just weightless to get into these programs. And uh, I, I know I personally advocate we need more resources. I'm not familiar with other provinces, but I know Newfoundland and outpour communities and, and different locations, you know, we can't just rely on St. John's. I think that we need more support in that area. And a lot of that I believe will begin with these communities um, in understanding that people who are going through this process in their life are still people. In the town of Victoria, where the transition housing was, you know, they had everything and the town had to vote, and that got denied. Um, that broke my heart, personally, because it did make me feel, when I heard comments of how they didn't want people like us in the community, I mean, I'm getting cold shivers here now, and I could cry. My heart cries because when you hear, especially if you're a youth and you're not, you know, you're just starting to come out and someone says something like that to you, you don't want your own recovery then because you go back to believing that you're small and you're not worth it, and it's just so sad because it can make all the difference in someone's life. I don't know if it's um, whether the, the, they'd be afraid that anyone who entered like a relapse phase or if they didn't have enough support staff or workers around, but I think essentially it's about turning the mind and you have to understand that that could have been in a whole economic boom as well. I mean, these people that are going out in recovery that need this transition housing, we need jobs too. Uh, moving forward in the life not only like and it would provide support staff for that facility i think that you know the community could grow uh i just i i'm not fully understanding why it was denied um maybe i'll never know it's just something that i've i've had to accept but i know that the people who wanted to start up the facility have no intention of giving up and that gives me hope I'm sure when I was in active addiction, you know, people would get on my case or tell me I had a problem and I was still in denial. Uh, I didn't really believe them. Somewhere I must have, but, uh, you know, I just thought this is what my life was going to be. Um, so if anyone's out there and they're just kind of struggling, you don't think of it as you have to quit. You don't think of it that, you know, just uh, learn who you are with using, with, uh, you know, everything in life, and know that there is support out there if you ever wanted to change. But there's also support out there if you wanted to pursue this lifestyle. Um, it's just hard when you get so far in it. I know myself, again, one ear, in one ear and out the other, um, because it was my personal belief that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't worth it or that I didn't have a problem or I just, uh, I know that I've accepted everything 
but the advice that these uh, presentations give on on drug using or alcohol and the dangers of it, of parties and and all that, um, it, the struggle's real, <laughs> unfortunately. And uh, you know, I'm you're not alone. And uh, if and when you ever do decide to get help, just remember that it's there. And uh, recovery is hard. It's hard in many ways, but it is definitely worth it. And, uh, you know, whoever's out there listening, you're worth it. Elizabeth is another young woman from St. John's who accessed the services of Thrive Outreach Center. She was diagnosed with a learning disability at a young age, and she shared part of her story with us. I started to go to Thrive when I was like 17 years old, and I've been going there just to further my education and try and get my uh, high school education or GED and then move forward to like college or trade. I started going there when I was about 17 or 18 years old and everybody there's just great. I went there to uh, for like further my education. I never ever once like gave up on school um, but it's always been a challenge for me because I have a nonverbal learning disability and it's based around math or numbers and remembering patterns and numbers and some other things as well. Like it, it doesn't necessarily have to be numbers or math. It's different with everyone. But for me, it was math, and that was a big one for me. It's just it's like a blocker. Like something, something just doesn't click with numbers and stuff like that mm-hmm. for me. Um, um, I got diagnosed when I was 13 years old. Um, like so grade 7 grade 8 and it was like a big shock to me because I was just trying I was just a kid just trying to fit in with my friends and to hear that you have something different than the most of your peers do and that you won't net you probably won't some people don't ever go to post-secondary or get a trade be- because of their learning disability and I want to prove that you actually can. Like, you can have dreams and you can accomplish them with help. You don't want people to know, like your peers to know, that you have something that they, that stops you from learning the way that you want to learn or you have to learn a certain way differently than them because it feels like you're behind. And in reality, maybe you are, but eventually you will catch up if you work hard. There was obviously a lot of good people did try to help me and you want to have to you have to want the help yourself to move forward and if you're in denial about it then really that's not wanting the help that's just being like "Eh, I'll do it later or just being lazy about it but if you want the help teachers are going to help you they are going to care some parents will definitely some people are, will bully you for it and I was bullied for it like people would be like oh uh, you don't know how to spell uh you don't know how to spell this word blah 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 and then they'd be like you know just make fun of you for it like not being able to spell or not knowing something that they know and they're just like you know trying to bring you down but you don't you know there's 
people out there that won't make fun of you and they'll be like, oh, well, if you don't know how to do it, maybe I can sit down and help you learn it. Just really know who your friends are. Um, stand up together as a group to stop a bully. Like, you know, you get your couple of friends and you, you don't beat the person up or anything, but like you, you dress it in adult, like kind of an adult matter. Like just either let it roll off your back or avoid that person and not have anything to do with them because they obviously hurt you or hurt your feelings or trying to bring you down because either they're jealous or you've got extra help or anything really. It could be anything. Mm -hmm. Or talk to someone. I've worked with Thrive and I've worked with Choices for Youth recently and the Murphy Center. I went to three different places trying to either further my education or find employment and Every single time I've had success with all three of those different programs. So it's cool. definitely something for some other people to check out. Some people, like literally, I see um, people on the road, like, you know, standing there, like, asking for change or whatever. There's places out there, like Thrive and uh, the Murphy Center and Choices for Youth that help you find food. They can help you find clothes. Like, it's just a big important role because they, they're there to help you. They're there, like, they will literally help you with anything. Most of those places, when you go there, they do not judge you um, based on anything, really. You could go there and be like, listen, like, they help literally with any anything. They don't judge you. They're just a bunch of great people that know how to deal and work with uh, serious situations to situations that are really small. They can, it might be a challenge, but they'll get it done. Find what works best for you as a person. So like every single one of these youth organizations have something different for every other person. They help you find what's best for you and how it works. I see like people, like, like I said, I see people who are in really, really down situations that probably do live on the street or don't really have enough money and just want to help them. I literally would probably just take them by the hand and be like, I know some cool people who would want to help you. Do you want to come with me? And if they're nervous about it, like, you know, just talk to them. Like, if that's all it is, is one simple conversation about what you know or who you know or what's going on with them type of deal. I had a child at a young age, so that also stopped me from dropping out of grade 12. But there was other reasons with that because I didn't have the right help. Um, I didn't get to go to my graduation or anything like that because I was expecting a baby. and I was, um, for one, really scared and nervous. And I was failing already anyways. So like, but like I didn't give up. Like I continued to go to other schools and reach for that extra help to understand my schoolwork, to understand myself as a person, to find work, just extra help. I had a lot of help and support from my family 
as well. Like my my parents never ever once gave up on me and was like, "You had a child, like I'm scolding you, like I'm not helping you." Because some parents do; they just drop their kids on their pretty much own once they have a child. But I had supportive, like a very supportive family behind me, and I like I had really really like my friends are literally my everything because if it wasn't for my friends i don't know where i would be because i'd be like just like a little lost soul somewhere like i don't know but my friends helped me through a lot of stuff too like just a lot of support like supportive people who are going to support you and help you move forward people weren't speaking my language for a long time like, I would go to school, and I would sit down, and I would look at my schoolwork, and I'd be like, this is, like, speaking a whole different language to me. Like, looking at that, like, this is, like, math is, like, something entirely new for me to learn, and I don't know how to learn it. Like, I need, there's a way that, I need to find a way that I understand it mm -hmm. as a person. And it's, like, really, really a struggle for me, but, like, I'm coming way farther than what I was. Don't give up. Keep going forward, pushing forward. Always looking to what is to come and not what has happened. The basic school system, sometimes I find they just push people through. Hmm. Like, I was in grade 7 and I didn't understand French at all. And... They just like pushed me through to grade eight and grade nine, and I wasn't understanding my work. I wasn't wasn't understanding what my teachers were getting on with because I wasn't technically passing. I was just pushed through. They just didn't take the time to understand what was going on with me. And unfortunately, it happens to a lot of people, and it goes unnoticed. There's a lot of employment programs hmm. that go on in our city. Mm -hmm. that a lot of people don't know about either. To the Two Roads program with the Murphy Center, I'd done that, and I ended up working with Penny Mazda. Uh, detail, it was only detailing cars, but it was up until I went to school with the Murphy Center. So they helped me out with this program, and the, they would pay half of, like, my... They would pay me, and then the employer would pay me as well. So, like, it'd be, like, they'd split it, so they'd both pay me the amount of hours that I was in for like worked for and stuff like that it was Great. awesome and then it was like I worked there all summer and then when September came I left and went back to school and gave school a shot and then continued to work like a part-time job while going to school but I still didn't have the right supports at the Mercury Center so it didn't work for me hmm. because they can't offer you if you have have to have a special accommodations to your schoolwork, and what I mean by that, like um, either having like a scribe, or always having to have to use a calculator on hand, like for an exam or a test. Sometimes they can't offer you that, which I think needs to be changed because, like, I know so many people who have learning disabilities, and they, I could cry about it, like, because I've been waiting to go to college for a long, long time, like. There's so much things that I want to do as a person, and I can't because I don't meet the high school criteria or the high school, what, what you need to qualify 
to do like post-secondary school or a trade. Mm -hmm. Now there is teachers there. They offer the um, GED program and they offer like like the high school program. And a high school program, you go to school and the teacher's there to help you. But like if you can't fully understand it and they don't understand what you're, what's going on in your brain pretty well, then they don't have like the right teachers to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Unlike Thrive, Thrive is kind of one-on-one. You have either one, you're working one-on-one with a teacher or you have one other person in your class. So it's just you you and another person and your teacher. So you guys pretty much sit there and bounce ideas off of each other and like sit there and work out the issue. And they usually match you up with someone who has a similar learning disability or uh, similar learning uh, strategies. So they match you great with the the person that you're sharing the teacher with in class. Oh, I always wanted to be like a business person. I always wanted to own like my own either like um, garage or um, detailing uh, vehicles. I I really just want to work with cars, to be honest. Uh, personally, I would like to pick up photography on my on the side, like just as something for me to do for fun or some extra cash. I've thought about working with animals. I really just want to go for go to school for something that I love, and. Getting there is, it's been a struggle, but like I'll get there. I know I will. Having to face my learning disability as a person, like just not letting it, letting it control. Cause like I find when you're in high school and junior high, it's hard trying to keep up with your peers. And like, it still is because I'm on Facebook and I see like, oh, my friend got accepted to do this course at Kona. And, my best friend comes here to Mon and she's in here for like science and like animal life science and she wants to be like a scientist and like all my friends are doing like stuff that they love. And I'm like, but why can't I? I'm stuck here doing math and I hate math, but I just wanna go do what I wanna, like wanna do for the rest of my life. I wanna find my career, my job path, and do it like I'm tired of just trying for something when you really want to do something and trying and trying and trying and it's right in front of your face but you have to like reach out and grab it but you have other stuff that are that's in the way that's blocking you from that I'm not gonna stop just just because my learning disability disability kind of says I have to but I'm I'm not gonna let it stop me Abby Quigley is a young woman from St. John's and an aspiring singer-songwriter. She's going to share one of her songs with us, but first she has a bit to say about the ideas and insights which inspired it. Personally speaking, I was bullied as a child, and I just, going through not only being a typical child, but being a child with a disability, I know that a lot of people with disabilities, not only just with disabilities, but people in general, you have a lot of struggles. And some people think, oh, if I look different, that people are gonna hate me or you're just gonna feel like humiliated and judged. And I just wanted to tell everyone that it's okay. Is bullying uh, still a problem for young people growing up in St. John's? I don't think as much anymore because like, it's still like, we have a wider um, aspect of like people with disabilities or people with just different 
things per se. Um, I don't think it's as bad, but it, you, it still happens. What are some of the ways we can tackle uh, the problem of bullying in our schools, in our communities? Definitely, if, if I was to tell you something to do, I would definitely say don't be afraid to reach out because friends, family, faculty members of the school or daycare or wherever you're attending, will, they'll definitely help. And if they don't, just reach higher, just try to talk to anyone you can. What are some of the ways in which music and song can be used as a way of combating bullying? The way I explain music is writing music and singing music is like your own personal story that not only benefits you, but benefits others. So like my song with Possible, like one of the lines is takes courage to follow your heart. Not only does that benefit me because I have to remember that nobody, I'm not perfect, nobody's perfect. But with that little bit of courage in myself or in whoever's listening to the song, if they have courage in themselves, they'll hopefully remember that they're perfect no matter what anyone says. What would you say to, if, to a young person today who came to you and said they were experiencing bullying? I would say don't listen to them, but obviously that's easier said than done. But I, the big thing I would say is go to someone. Go to someone of a bigger authority. I think going to someone with a bigger authority and going to someone and being like, this is what's happening, can you please help me? So I think going to someone. Music for me is important because it's helped me get through so many struggles, personally speaking. If I didn't have music, I would not be here today. I remember a little a time. There's a video of me on YouTube, actually, um, and I'm really I'm probably like th- two or three at this point, and I'm singing a song called Fireman Fred. So music has been a really big part of my life for a very long time, and I hope it continues to be. If I could choose two things to to change this world. I would say that we definitely we definitely need more um, people understanding other people's situations and like just people being considerate like no bullies or try not to bully try to see them their perspective from their shoes and when I say them I mean the people who are getting bullied for the probably totally nonsense thing. My goal is to hopefully be famous one day and to change the way people look at people with disabilities or people in general, because we're all special and unique. I just want to say thank you for having me. This is Abby Quigley with the song Possible.
before it spreads its wings. The bluebird flicked out of its shell before a star to sing. Takes courage to follow your heart, but you'll never get there if you don't start. If you want your dreams to come true, the most important part is you. Oh, oh. It takes courage to follow your heart, but you'll never get there if you don't start. If you want your dreams to come true, the most important United Nations Universal Children's Day was established in 1954. It's celebrated on November 20th each year. That's the date in 1959 when the UN General Assembly adopted the Declaration of the Rights of the Child. It's also the date in 1989 when the UN General Assembly adopted the Convention on the Rights of the Child. In the following segment, two young children, Mia and Icy, discuss the UN Declaration on the Rights of the Child and what it means to them. The conversation is facilitated by Brittany Burns, a local organizer and educator. My name is Mia. I'm nine years old and I'm in fourth grade. I'm Icy. Uh, I'm from China. My real name is Di Kuning. Oh, I'm 16 and uh, I'm in grade 11 right now. All right, so we're here talking about the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. Do you know what rights are? Um, it's something that every child should be able to do or have. Right, right. And I see, do you have anything to include? Uh, I think it's usually working with the law. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of like the protection yes. of some group of people. UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. Article 12. You have the right to give your opinion and for adults to listen and take it seriously. UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. Article 13. You have the right to find out things and share what you think with others by talking, drawing, writing, or in any other way unless it harms or offends other people. It's kind of like a big issue. Mm -hmm. Especially when in your family, your parents are talking something, but they don't want you, like you to talk about it. They don't want you to involve the conversation. It's just like, okay, it's adult conversation. You right. should like go watch TV or something. Yeah, and sometimes you try to say something, like your parents will stop you like, okay. And sometimes the topics are really important that you need to talk about. And I feel like sometimes kids already know the thing. Sometimes kids, they can choose the thing they like. For example, the water bottle. If the mom likes this color water bottle, and the kids like another colors, but your mom just said, okay, it's just water bottle. It's, what's it different? So her mom just choose for her. It's just unfair. Or choose your boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, because some, some parents, they don't allow like your child uh, in a relationship. And uh, some cultures, yeah. they are like engaged. 
a marriage. They have to marry when they was eleven years old, I think.、Yeah. I read a book, and no, I watched a movie about a girl, and after she finished school, she her parents made her marry her cousin. You watched it. Was she a child? Yeah. UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, Article Nineteen. You have the right to be protected from being hurt and mistreated in body or mind. So, what do you think that means? Maybe that your parents can protect you until you're eighteen. Just teach you like basic sexual knowledge. Tell you what should you do, what should you do, and what should you not do. Maybe childhood scar. A lot of people have childhood scar. Yeah, and especially from parents, from family members. Yeah. So maybe like when they have when they have a bad experience, the parents should ask them or like just tell them it's okay to share, it's okay to just talking about that, and we can get rid of that. Not like just. Keeping it in, but I think before、uh, talking about like bullying from another people, the first thing is the parents shouldn't hurt their child, like from mind, from language. Yeah, I think、um, the child should let their parents know, and then the parent should talk to the other parent and bully. Maybe inform their parents every any. Any time something bad happens at school or any place else. Okay, maybe. What are some other things you could do? Like if you saw another child being bullied, you could stand up for their yeah. rights. Yeah, and you could let the bully know that it's not cool. UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, Article Twenty Three. You have the right to special education and care if you have a disability. There's a student in my class that doesn't understand English. Okay. And so sometimes she she gets taken out of class and gets extra help learning English. Oh, we have an elevator in our school. Yes. And the elevator is、uh, just for disability people. I find it's pretty sweet. UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, Article Twenty Four. You have the right to the best healthcare possible, safe water to drink, nutritious food, a clean and safe environment, and information to help you stay well. Some people who are really poor in other countries, they don't have、uh, safe water or safe houses. Clean environment. Yeah. And what do you, what what do you think should be done about that? I think the government should. Uh, start putting taxes on food and clean water for more people in different countries. What do you mean by putting taxes on it? Do you mean like putting more money、yeah. into it to ensure that people have running water? Yeah, I think people in the richer countries should start giving more, giving some money to the poor people. Some of the communities in Newfoundland don't have access to safe drinking water. Do either of you have thoughts on what should be done with that? I think government should、uh, put more money in into the water, like safe water technique, yeah, and uh, some uh, charity, like they're kind of like fake charity. 
I hope there's more real charity can actually help people, not just take the money. Are you surprised to hear or to know that、um, not all communities in Newfoundland and Labrador have access to safe drinking water from their taps? Some people have to buy safe drinking water.、Um, not really, because my cousin、uh, in Torbay he has to buy the water because the water is. Bad. In Torbay, yeah. Oh wow, and that's pretty close to the city. In China, we never drink water from tap, so、okay. I'm not surprised about.、Uh, we have, have to boil in the water. You have the right to a clean and safe environment. What do you think about that? It's an example that in in grade one, we there's be a lady and she would wear a little, she would carry a little bag. And whoever wanted to pick up garbage on the school grounds could pick up. She would have a gloves and a bag, and so we could pick up all the garbage around the fields and the ground. Maybe stop pollution. What? Why is pollution important for you? Um, because it affects all of our lives. Um, because um, if you live in Lots of smog. There's you're gonna get you you're gonna cough all the time and like. If children should have the right to a safe, a clean and safe environment, what do you think about pipelines in Canada, and how that relates to this right? With the oil in pipeline, it often linking. So it probably gonna ruin the soil, and it probably gonna ruin the water. So. Just ruin the whole like environmental,、mm-hmm. which so, is which is not good for us. And it's、um, quite unfair that the oil people they get paid so much money for making all this pollution in the world. We were just kind of talking about financial inequality, and the next one that I want to talk about, the next article here, is、uh, that. Children have the right to help from the government if you are poor or in need. So, do you have any thoughts on what it means to have the right to help from the government if you are poor or in need? I think that this is allowed to limit a government because nowadays, like, it's kind of like the global issue. The government、uh, they win the ele-、uh, election and they just don't do work. They just promise. People like we're going to help you, but they never. I think people should more、uh, pay attention about、uh, the people need help. It's not in, in in order to pay attention to election or like some rich people. How like help people around you, or maybe they can like have some、uh, channel just to tell people that、uh, the government just don't do the thing, or like just tell them. Yeah, because I saw a few like YouTube channel they just. For like ranting about the government, like they don't, they don't help us. They promise,、uh, they like they promised, but they never help. Because you just say maybe you can like、uh, inform government, uh, what's happened to the poor person. But if they don't help you, you can like have a YouTube channel or some social media just to tell all the people that the government don't do the work. UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, Article Thirty One. You have the right to play and rest. Can either of you talk about what you think that means? If your parents make you do work, 
you can stop them sometimes. Some case in a poor family, uh, they're supposed to go into school, but in order to go into school, uh, uh, like they make money, they start working. Oh, so children start working? Yeah. Yeah, now forcing children to do labor. Okay. So you don't mean like if your parent or guardian came and said, I see clean your room in that that's case fine. That's, yeah okay. that's fine okay i just want to make sure i understand yeah. but if they said i see go to work for eight hours and bring home money that's a little different isn't it mm-hmm. okay. yeah i was kind of thinking what i said like if some people in different countries they make their kids go to work in factories and stuff right and do jobs to make more money for their family and uh, my best friend in elementary school uh, she's a genius for piano, but like her mom uh, make make her do like five hour practice a day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes she's just so exhausted, but she mom still make her to to do the piano. Oh, wow! One thing that uh, you both sort of touched on was parents making their children go to work in order to bring home money. So what would you say if, if a family is so poor that they can't afford to help them? What do you think maybe countries can do to um, ensure that families don't need to ask children or people under the age of 18 to go to work? The wealthier countries could donate some money, maybe? Yeah, yeah I think when they uh, do their like, census, like when government do do the census, yeah. Like when government to do the census, if like two parents they don't have job, that means they need money. So maybe government should start help them until they find a job. What do you think about adults being paid a fair amount of money for the work that they're doing in order to be able to care for themselves and their family? Do you think that's important? Yes. I mean if. People don't have money. They probably just do some uh, criminal things. And uh, the emotional of the poor parents, they always affect to their child. So if they're really stressed out about money, then mm-hmm. maybe the children also kind of feel stressed out about money. Yeah. 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 I think children should have the right to be free, like because they're going to have to work when they're an adult. So. Why is play important? You learn things from it. And good for your brain. The children have right to have a good education and to make to make up their own life. Maybe just um, make the poor people have money. Like if everybody have money, I mean the world will be better. Mm-hmm. There's like less criminal and more happiness. And the numbers just keep going up and up. It gets more and more every time. It is better than roaming the streets. They get along good, so that's all that matters. Beaconsfield is a junior high school in St. John's. It has about 530 students and 35 teachers. In September 2017, the school began a unique experiment, opening its doors to students on Friday evenings. The teachers initially expected maybe a handful of students to show up, Instead, they had dozens, and now only five weeks into the semester, they're seeing hundreds show up in the evenings, looking for somewhere to be with their peers. The teachers who show up to supervise are all volunteers. Some parents show up as well to help out, but supervision is light. 
Teachers leave it to the students to organize themselves and to pursue whatever activities they are interested in. The spirit that's here right now is pretty incredible, I have yeah. to say. Greg O'Leary is principal at Beaconsfield Junior High. This is his 20th year teaching, but it's his first year as principal at this junior high. We started off as a way to, because we have four different feeder schools, so the students um, don't always know each other from the other schools, and we're a pretty big school, so uh, I wanted them to get to know each other better so they felt comfortable taking chances in the classroom, socially there would be a good atmosphere here in the school, we wanted a sense of togetherness and community, so we thought it's almost a throwback to the old community center night, you know, and uh, like I said tonight we have our music room full, our art room is full, um, our weight room is full, we have a games room on stage, um, and of course the gym is full and over 200 students. I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah. I pitched the idea at uh, one of our very first staff professional development days very early in the school year, and the response was immediately that would work here. People felt that it would work. So, now, I say we felt it would work. We were expecting maybe 20, mm -hmm. 25 students to first, and we'd build it over time. But here we are now in only the six, well, the first session we had over 80 students. And here we are now in only the, I think it's the fifth or sixth session, and we're over 200 tonight. What do you think draws the students here? Uh, sense of connection, human connection. We all, we all thought that we knew um, teenagers. We all thought that they didn't want connection. We thought they wanted to go off with their iPads and be alone. Uh, turns out that we were wrong. Um, they want connection, they want community, they want belonging, they want togetherness, uh, and they want to have a voice. Uh, quite frankly, like I said, they determine what this night has become. Uh, their interest, they showed up and they said, sir, we don't want it to be just about sports, although we want sports involved, but we want our other interests um, to be accommodated as well. The parents are pretty excited about it. I don't know who's more excited, the students or the parents, to be honest with you. Uh, because they're seeing their children now starting to hang around with children with different interests. So one of the beauties of this event is the artistic child is hanging out with the athlete, the musical child is hanging out with the weightlifter, and many of the children have different interests themselves. So they might come in the door saying, hey, I want to do gaming tonight, or I want to take my sketch pad, and then the next thing they're starting to enjoy the other activities. You notice our music room is filled tonight, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. and we've got uh, Daryl Power in there, great big sea fame, and mm -hmm. our music teacher's here tonight. And so people are going to fall in love with music tonight. Mm -hmm. Those people are going to fall in love with different things tonight. Uh, we just wanted to provide uh, a sense of community, but you know, one of the residual benefits is that it does provide a safe space for the children. Most of our sessions are run on, on Friday nights. It's Fridays mm -hmm. and Saturday nights, depending on our children availability, but mostly Friday nights. And it just gives them another safe option. And it, it wasn't done only for that reason, but that is one of the nice benefits of it. Parents know where their children are. They're, they're, they're actually connecting with students from their school. Um, and they're having a good time. And it's physical. So they're getting a workout while they're here. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a really positive experience all around. What has impressed you the most of since you started this? Uh, just how it's grown so quickly. And the fact that the students were willing to try something different. Uh, right away, over 80 students on the first night. You'd think you'd have to build it up from a dozen students. The fact that they were so receptive and so willing to take chances. The other thing is that the fact that students want to be around their teachers, they want to be around their administration, their principal. Part of this was for a way for me to get to know new students. I'm new at the school. Um, they help out, they clean up, they organize the events, they help the younger children, the older children mentor our grade sevens, so there's a bit of an informal mentoring program happening here. Um, there's a lot of positives and there's a lot to like. Mm -hmm. 
teachers are connecting with students from their classes too. Mm -hmm. It's helping them in their classes. One of the big benefits of this program, one of the biggest benefits of this program is that we're starting to see a big difference in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Students are willing to take more chances. Students are willing to try different types of higher order thinking, inquiry, because they trust one another. There's a sense of community building in the school. Um, so it's had really big impact on our academics. Mm -hmm. Parents are impressed by the event. Many of them wander around, even exhibiting surprise at the initiative their children are taking. You're a parent here. What brings you out here? Uh, the community aspect of it. Alex has a lot of friends here, and he loves the idea of coming down here and hanging out. Now, students are in school all day. Why do you think they want to come here in the evenings again? Uh, unstructured fun. Uh, without the structure is great, and I'm sure that it's and it's important. Not I'm sure it is important, but the unstructured piece is equally as fun. And they're bringing together the community and for everybody to actually hang out together in a safe environment. Uh, that's right. definitely what appeals. You here tonight? I'm here to pick up my son. He is almost 12 years old and it's his first time coming here tonight. What do you think of, of this, the school being open in the evening? Fantastic. It gets him out of his bedroom, off his tablet. Even though he brought his tablet, he, chances are he's not using it very much with all these people around. Mm. Yeah. What do you think all these kids would be doing if they weren't here tonight? Staring at TV, staring at the computer. Yeah, often no good. This is awesome. It reminds me of intramurals. When I used to be in high school, yeah, after school we'd all go and hang out and play games and stuff, and this is exactly what it's like, except there was never this many kids there, and the gym is packed, and everybody's happy and having fun, and it's nice. But most importantly, the students here seem to love it. What's your name? JJ. What brings you out here this evening? Well, instead of just being bored, going around, some people like to loiter, I don't do that, but it's better to come here and see friends that you don't really get to see. What do you think? What did you think when the school announced it was going to start doing this in the evenings? I was, I didn't know what to expect, but when I came, I thought it was pretty fun. It was pretty cool. Do a lot of your friends come out too? Yeah, lots. And what do you enjoy about it? You know, you've been in school all day, yet you're coming back in the evening. What, what draws you back? Uh, seeing friends come back to the school. It's a great place. I love it here. Yeah. Yeah, okay. What are your names? Um, Emily and Mackenzie. Emily and Mackenzie. And how old are you in what grades? Um, I'm, I'm 13 and I'm grade 8. I'm 12 and I'm in grade 8. And what brings you out here today? Well, we just like to come to school and support our stuff. Well, I think it's important so kids can come out and enjoy like their nights instead of going out and do something like I don't know say bad and they can meet new people and stuff yeah hi I'm Lucas and what's your age and grade I'm 11 years old and I'm in grade 7 and why'd you come out here tonight to have a bit of fun with my friends in Beaconsfield mm -hmm. what did you think when you heard that the school was gonna be open in the evening I thought it was pretty awesome yeah. why is that because I can socialize with all my friends in on the Friday evenings when I'll just be on at home, really doing nothing. Where I can do a lot of different things here with my friends. So, mm -hmm. well, what do you think students would be doing if they weren't here at the school? Probably be at home with the devices two inches from their face. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh well, I mean, sure, I like doing that. Well, I mean. 
it gives this pier gives you a good opportunity to be with all your friends where you might not have the opportunity otherwise. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite part of it? Um, the variety I have to choose from when I like I have weights, I have music, and I have sports, a lot of different things. What's your name? I'm Zachary. And what's your age and grade? I am in grade seven, and I'm turning. 12. So what brought you out here tonight? Well, I haven't been out here and I just thought that this was all sports tonight. But when I figured out that there was like ping pong and stuff like that, then I decided to come out. How did you How did you find it? Did you enjoy it? it yes, I enjoyed it very much. Why do you think it's important for school to do things like this? Because then you can get more interactive with the school and like get social with other people. O'Leary is proud of what he and the Beaconsfield community have accomplished. It may not be for every school, he notes, but what's important is for schools to look at their own identities and their own diversities to see what innovative ideas might work for them. I think, I think each school probably has to do, uh, as I said in earlier interviews, what works best for their community. So, um, you know, each uh, administration in the school, uh, along with their teachers, will identify needs that are being met in their school and not being met in their school. So sure, for some schools they may think, hey, you know what, that's a great idea, that might work here. For other schools they may say, hey, we're having those needs met um, by this program we're running or that program, but it might give them a different idea to try something different. So again, it really comes down to the diversity of the community, uh, sort of the specifics of a particular community and what they need. What I will say is that there are already many beautiful things happening in junior highs that sometimes people don't always know about. The remarkable sense of community that's been created at Beaconsfield is in evidence as Principal O'Leary calls the students to take a pause from their activities and gather around him. He gives a short inspirational speech, and the students hang on to every word. You can tell there's learning of many kinds going on here tonight. Would you guys have a song really, really special here This school community right now has got so much spirit, but you are the people that are making this thing happen. There's 200 people here. I'm not going to keep you here very long. I just wanted to make that point to you that you're part of. There's nothing that you guys can't do when you want to have something special. It's your voice that's made this thing. It's your voice, it's your community. This has turned into something very different. It's turned into a community open school open house type of an event where different interests are being met. And that evolved. Um, that's, and again, it evolved based on the students' interests, what they wanted. They came en masse over 80 students the first night, and they, about 40 of them went out to the gym to play, and about 40 of them said, sir, can we do other things? So they've renovated the weight room on the first night, we opened the music, we, we, a number of students brought their sketch pads from the art club, formed an art circle on the stage, sir, can we get the ping pong table out, sir, can we do gaming, and, it's, and a whole, and, and it's just turned into this eclectic, diverse thing um, that's happening at school and it's really special to see I, I love seeing children happy smiling yeah um, wanting to be at their school mm -hmm. what principal would want students to want to be back at their school